Welcome to Factually. I'm Adam Conover. Thank you so much for spending an hour of your day with us once again, talking to some incredible experts, learning some new things. Today, let's talk about physics. Physics is in many ways the ultimate science. You know what I mean? Physicists in the in the great halls of scientific inquiry, physicists walk around with a little bit of extra swagger, right? Because, hey, all those other sciences, all that biology, sociology, psychology, hell, even chemistry, why? All those just devolve into physics, right? At root, physics is the study of what truly exists and everything else is details. Physics is foundational. And on top of that, it has also made massive progress over the last few centuries, And that progress has not only helped us understand the universe at a fundamental level, it has not only brought us immense technological change that's benefited all of us and uh, also killed a lot of people, let's not forget that, but it has also produced some of the most incredibly surprising and counterintuitive results in all of science. Results that many of us struggle to comprehend, even a century after they were established. So let's not just talk about physics. Let's talk about quantum fucking mechanics. Yeah, quantum mechanics. I know a chill just went down your spine. You're like, "Uh uh-oh, this conversation is suddenly going to get completely incomprehensible and also really woo-woo, right? Is Adam going to start talking about multiple universes? No. Let's talk about why we are so fascinated yet also so confused by quantum mechanics. I mean, these ideas were developed a century ago, and still, most of us struggle to make sense out of them. I mean, book after book has been written about it, documentaries have been made about it, I have read and seen at least five or six of them, and I am still no closer to understanding what the fuck it means, and I think you might be in the same boat. And this is frustrating, because while I am not a scientist... I do consider myself someone who can, you know, understand scientific concepts. You know, I I can, if I read something written for the layman, or maybe I can even dive into a paper or two, I can get my bearings and understand the broad structure of a field, even though I don't, you know, understand how the math works. I can listen to the experts and form a working knowledge. With quantum mechanics, though, it sometimes just feels that there's a barrier between me and a true understanding that I cannot get past. Let me give you an example. I went to a liberal arts college, and the idea of this college was that everybody should know a little bit about everything. So we had distribution requirements. It didn't matter how bad you said you were at math. You had to take a science course. The idea of this class was it was taught by a physics professor, but it was a quantum physics class for humanities and social science majors. You could learn about quantum mechanics but you wouldn't have to do any math. That was the idea. We could get that base level understanding without actually having to do the equations. And so the professor did his very best. And he was explaining to us Heisenberg's uncertainty principle. If you don't remember it, I'll refresh you on it. Heisenberg's uncertainty principle is this weird piece of quantum mechanics that tells us that if we can learn everything about where a particle is located, we will then know nothing about how fast it's moving. And if, alternatively, we know its momentum, we have no idea where it is. And this is because that just by observing a particle, we are changing it. And thus, we can only ever know one of those properties at a time. Well, when the professor explained this odd concept, my friend, who was next to me in the class, put up his hand and he said, well, hold on, maybe there is a way to figure out the speed and direction of the particle at the same time, but we just haven't found it yet. Maybe we're going to learn how to do it soon. And everyone in the class kind of nodded and said, oh, yeah, maybe he's right. The professor said, oh, no, 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 that's that's not possible. That's not possible. It's it's uh, it's it's just part of quantum mechanics. You can never know both at once. And my friend replied, well, I don't know, maybe we just uh, haven't figured it out yet. Maybe one day we will soon. And the professor said, no, 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 you you really can't. I'm telling you, it actually will never happen. And my friend said, why? And the professor replied, 
because the math says it's impossible. Okay, fine. I know there's gonna be no math in this class, but let me just show you. And he like staggered up the, to the whiteboard and quickly wrote out the math and said, see, if you could know both, then zero would equal zero or whatever. So therefore it's impossible. Okay, you got me. <laughs> this class, again, was supposed to give us an understanding of quantum mechanics without math. And yet the professor was unable to explain quantum mechanics in a way that was intelligible to us. Very smart, very curious students without using the math that was banned in the classroom. And since none of us understood the math, then we, in that moment, failed to understand quantum mechanics. We still could not quite get it, despite this very patient professor's best efforts. But what is it about quantum mechanics, among all the sciences, that makes it so difficult for us to grok? I mean, Newtonian physics, I get. Force equals mass times acceleration. Easy. I mean, Newtonian physics, I get force equals mass times acceleration. I learned it in 11th grade. I still know it today. But quantum mechanics, I just, it has never quite gotten through my skull until I did the interview that you're going to hear today. Our guest today helped break down quantum mechanics for me in a way that for the first time made me feel like I am actually starting to get it and not just get it in some kind of superficial, okay, I don't know, maybe multiple universes exist kind of way, a way in which I actually started to get an intuitive understanding of how the universe is different if we truly understand quantum mechanics in the same way that Copernicus's revolution changed our view of astronomy in the same way that Newton's revolution changed our understanding. My guest today, Carlo Rovelli, helped me begin to understand how quantum mechanics could similarly change my perspective of the universe in a fundamental way. So look, I'm not going to preface this anymore. This was one of the most fascinating interviews I have done on this show in quite some time. I think you're going to love it. My guest today is Carlo Rovelli. He's an eminent physicist and most recently the author of a new book called Helgoland, Making Sense of the Quantum Revolution. And once again, you can pick up that book like you can get the books of all of our guests at factuallypod.com slash books. Please welcome Carlo Rovelli. Carlo, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So you've written a new book called Helgoland. Did I pronounce it correctly? Perfectly. And this is, this is a book about quantum mechanics, which is a topic I have tried to understand it many times throughout my life. I've taken classes. I talked about in the intro. I took a class when I was in college called Schrodinger's Cat and All That that attempt to explain <laughs> quantum physics to liberal arts students. And I sort of got it. I've seen documentaries. I've read books. It's a very difficult subject. You write in the introduction to this book that... Taking quantum mechanics seriously is an almost psychedelic experience because it asks us to renounce in one way or another something that we cherished as solid and untouchable in our understanding of the world. I, I relate to that, <laughs> but I, why, do, why do you write that? <laughs> because uh, you're telling me that you never understood quantum mechanics, right? That's what you really you're telling me. And so you were right. So you, you, you understood correctly that you didn't understand <laughs> quantum mechanics. <laughs> I had the opposite uh, experience. You know, I was, at some point I became a good student in physics, not, not early, but at some point they really plunged the thing. Uh, it was uh, late in my university years. So it was, it was a science student. I was a science student. So I, I, I read five books on quantum mechanics. I said, I got it. I understand. It's completely clear. Uh, and I spent a few years like that, saying, okay, I've understood quantum mechanics. And then I sort of thought better and I realized that, in fact, I had not understood quantum mechanics because quantum mechanics is subtle, tricky, complicated, confusing. Um, in fact, I, I moved to the States. Uh, I, 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 I started teaching in a, in a faculty in Pittsburgh and my older, uh, the, the older scientist, my master there, used to tell me, oh, Carlo, you think you understand quantum mechanics? Explain it to me. And I slowly realized that I didn't. So that put me on a path of trying to understand it better. Um, it is really complicated. It's, uh, it's tricky. But is it, like, in what way is it tricky? Give, give, give me an example. Like, I understand that the math is difficult, for instance, and I don't feel that I would ever, I will ever understand the math fundamentally because that's not my forte. But I also don't understand the math behind Newtonian physics, but Newtonian physics makes 
sense to me. <laughs> I understand the principles behind exactly. it. Exactly. No, it's not, it's not about the math. The math, uh, in fact, is if, if you want to do in the, the full complexity, yeah, I mean, it's Hilbert space, it's a complicated thing, non-commutative algebras. But in reality, you, you can do quantum mechanics uh, in, uh, you know, with uh, just plus and minuses and multiplication. You just have couples of numbers. Uh, if, 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 you, if you study it in the book by Feynman, Feynman's a great, great scientist of the second half of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. He makes it very simple mathematically. So the, the complication is not mathematical. The, co- the complication is, 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 is what you're saying. It's a, uh, I mean, the mathematics is clear and using it, it's easy. Every engineering well, sorry to the engineering. Uh, I mean, a lot of people <laughs> use it then, uh, you know, chemists, astrophysicists, physicists, condensed matter mm-hmm. physicists. You use the theory. Um, and somehow you, you have a quantum system. Quantum system is an atom, a piece of matter um, that is your computer, one of the chips of your computers, or the sun. Or, and the, theory, the way the math works is that uh, um, you look at something, okay? Uh, I see that the atom is, is, is so-and-so. You make a calculation, it predicts what you're going to see next. Mm-hmm. Okay? Do the little calculation, it's not too complicated. You check and bingo, it's always right. It's a century, it's always right. So you can stop here, be happy, you have understood quantum mechanics, right? But then there's a little voice in, inside you that tells, okay, so this is what I see first, this is what I see next. The calculation tells me how to go from here, here. What happens in between? Mm-hmm. And in between, uh, you try to make a story and the story, it's strange. It's just mm-hmm. very funny. Okay. So um, the, 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 the quintessential thing is that, you know, you, you, you have a wall with two holes and you have a particle here. You want to compute where it goes the other side. You do a calculation. You, 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 you see where it goes. There's yeah. a probability it might go here, here. It works very well. Okay. So the particle goes from here to here. There are two, yeah. two holes. Yeah. I want to know which hole it goes through. And if you ask this question, everything falls apart. Because yeah. if you go through one hole, you get a result. If you go through the other hole, you get the same result. Okay. But that's not the result predicted by the theory. The theory tells you that mm. it goes to both holes. Like, Wait a minute. How can it go <laughs> through both holes? <laughs> And it's over and over again. The theory tells you, you know, the Schrodinger cat is alive and also dead, that you see one thing and you see the opposite. I mean, uh, this only if you ask what happens between the observations. So then everybody gets confused at this point because uh, some people say, I don't want to know what happened when I don't look. I only want to know what happened when I look. Other people say, wait a moment, this is science. We are supposed to ask questions. And if you try to ask questions what happened in between, everybody comes up with a story there are many stories out there, and all of them are strange, incredibly strange. I remember the the experiment with the holes. Uh, I, I remember this from uh, high school physics, and this is the point at which I stopped understanding. Everybody <laughs> stops understanding it. <laughs> it makes no sense. Is, it, is this where the particle goes through the holes and it starts to begin to act like a wave and it, and it exactly, appears in exactly, different... Exactly, exactly. So that's another yeah. way of viewing it. So if, if one way of, of, of writing the theories is to write this wave. Right, is a, there's a wave function. So the, uh, so you have a particle and it, it opens up like a wave, and a wave passes through both holes, right? Because if you mm-hmm. if you have a pond and, and and you make a wave with with your hand, it goes. And if there are two 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 passages, the wave passes passes be, between both. So that seems very reasonable. Ah, I got it. It's a it's a particle. It's a wave. Very easy. Uh, there's a problem. You never see the wave. You always see the particle in one point. When you look, yeah. the wave poof, disappears. Yeah. So in your calculations, what you do in your calculations, it's incredibly funny. You, you see the particle here. Now you make a calculation and it waves around. It's all over. And then you see the particle in one point. And then the wave poof, just focus there. It's called the, it's called <laughs> the collapse of the wave function. <laughs> but it's nonsense. How can a wave which is all over just suddenly collapse in a point? Nobody believe that, but it is a wave because it passes through both, but it's not a yeah. wave because they see a particle. So yeah. what? That's a confusion. Th- this is what I remember from my high school class. And you're right. It's like, you can do the math. 
you understand how it works, and it in fact works in an applied sense. An engineer, as you say, could make use of this phenomenon yeah. in a very predictable, repeatable way. But when you try to understand, it's when we try to do the next step and say, what does this mean about the world? How does the world exactly. work? We can we meet immediate paradoxes. Uh, exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. That's uh, so. So, so you you can try to make sense of what happened in the world, but whatever you do, you get to something some strange thing. Let me give you an example, please. Some people say, oh, no, 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 no. The point is that it's really a wave. Uh, I mean, it's just a wave. Okay. Mm -hmm. So uh, this opens up and the wave and the, the electron is really uh, spread out. And then you say, wait, well, why when I look at it, when I interact with it, I sit in one point. Okay. So mm -hmm. be careful, hold on your chair. Because some people, I mean, very serious philosophers, very serious physicists, all the respect, what they think is that, okay, this is because you, Adam, also are a wave. Oh, no. <laughs> so when you inter... Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Oxford, philosophers, they all believe that. Um, <laughs> and some great friend of mine, which are great science. So when you see the particle, when you interact with the electron, your wave spreads out. So this means now there are... Two atoms. There's one atom that sees the electron here and one atom that sees the electron there. They're both real, oh. very real. Okay? Oh my God. Now, why do you, you say, well, I see one position, not the other. And the answer is, well, because you're one of the two. <laughs> <laughs> right. So there's a copy of yourself that has seen the other. Okay. Yeah. People believe that. People take that extremely seriously. I don't think that's the right way of going. But you see, it's not because they're stupid. It's because uh, whatever you do, you, you end up in something funny. Yeah, it, you immediately almost run into what seem like metaphysical questions in the, in the philosophical sense. Uh, and that's unusual for science. Most scientific fields, I don't think, lead us to those questions quite so quickly. I mean... You know, certainly genetics has a tendency to, you know, can can interfere with people's sense of self or psychology or things like that. But quantum physics, it seems that when we the, the mind recoils in some way, in some fundamental way. And, and it often seems to me like I, it's a bridge I'm never going to get over, that I'm never going to understand it in a in a truly deep way, that the paradox will always be there. And that at some at some point, maybe the point is to stop worrying about it and just fucking get on with doing the math. <laughs> no, I don't think, yeah, I agree with what you say, but I don't think I agree with the last sentence that you said. Okay. Well, maybe we should just, uh, um, because uh, uh, it's, it's true that in some senses, uh, it, 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 it's philosophy is not science. And in fact, some, some physicists take that position, especially if they, if they work in a context in which uh, it's good enough Uh, many people doing condensed matter, many people working in the lab. But look, um, let me give you an example. Uh, when Copernicus did the Copernican revolution, mm -hmm. uh, he found a different ways of computing the, the, the way the, the things go around. Uh, and he said, well, I have understood that the, the earth is not the center of the universe. Okay, the center of the universe is the sun. Now, think for a moment. Is that a scientific statement? No, mm. because there's no way to know what is the center of the universe. It's just metaphysics, yeah. right? It's a reinterpretation of some motions. But it's a good metaphysics because it opened up the right way of thinking that led to Newton, Galileo, Huygens, Kepler, mm. and, and, and modern science. Another example, because you see, this happens much more commonly than what... Uh, You see, there was a discussion at the end of the 19th century about atoms. Uh, atoms were used a lot by, by chemists, uh, just a, a mathematical way um, to talk about a combination of substances. You want to make water uh, in the right universe, you have one part of oxygen, two parts of uh, hydrogen. So they say one atom of oxygen, two atoms of hydrogen. But nobody, they, nobody really believed that these were actually particles gluing together in little molecules, little things. So there was mm -hmm. huge discussion. Are they things or not they things? They're just mathematical. And some 
scientists that turn out to be the ones who were right said, no, 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 this is a really thing. Look, there are really little, <laughs> little sort of balls there. And a little water is really made little things which have one oxygen into hydrogens. It's not a calculation, it's for real. And, and, and you know, I, Einstein is one that took them seriously. And with that idea, he was able to deduce all sorts of things. So the, the boundary between uh, what you can measure and the right way of thinking, it's, it's fluid. Science is not just mm. about, you know, mathematics and what you can measure. Science is about getting the right perspective, getting the right ideas. Like everything yeah. in life, right? In life, you don't want numbers. You want the right way of thinking about things. To take a political decision, you just, it's not just a, lot, a bunch of data. You have to write the framework. What are the important issues here? You have to figure out what yeah. are the important issues. Or in your life. Your life is about, you know, seeing it from the right perspective. A friend comes to you and say... Adam, don't look this way. Look at that way. You say, ah, yeah, you're right. That now, 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 go ahead. <laughs> so you, you really feel we should be trying to reorient our perspective as a result of quantum mechanics, rather than saying, oh, this is too. I'll never understand this, or it's it's too inhuman in some way. Like our minds can't wrap around it. We should instead be trying to to adjust our perspective based on what we learn from it. Exactly. I think that uh, to be a good scientist is to uh, explore new ways of thinking, explore mm -hmm. new ways of conceptualizing. That's what Newton has done. That's what Maxwell has done. That's what uh, Einstein has done. That's what Boltzmann has done. I mean, all these great scientists, Feynman has done. I mean, all these great scientists uh, have learned the physics of their time and they have not just written a new equation. Mm -hmm. They have said, look, These are the wrong concepts. Einstein did, you know, well, the two things are simultaneous. Well, it's obvious what simultaneous, simultaneity means. I said, no, no, it's not obvious. Rethink about it. Give it up, that thing that seems obvious. Think a different way. And, that, mm. uh, and that's going to work better. Well, much of your book is about Heisenberg and about his own struggle, I think, to, to understand these issues. Uh, tell me about that piece of it. That's probably the best part of my book, I think. <laughs> it's, a big, it's a beginning because it's a story. It's a fantastic story. Uh, the guy's 23. Uh, listen, I'm, uh, Adam, your audience, how many are 23? That's a moment in which you can do great science. Oh, uh, many of fact, them. All, all the friends uh, of him he does quantum mechanics with are kids of the, his age. I can say kid, I'm past 60. So, I mean, <laughs> 23 <laughs> is kids for me. Um, and it's their absolute radicality, this courage of thinking something completely new. Don't take for granted what's been taught at school uh, that lead this group of kids to, to this incredible revolution. I mean, all our contemporary physics is based on that. So he's... Uh, Uh, it doesn't come from the blue, right? He was totally focused on the problem, studying a lot, studying physics, studying philosophy, reading all sorts of things. Uh, and uh, everybody was confused about how the atoms work. And Heisenberg goes alone in a little island in the Northern Sea. This is because England, between England, uh, Denmark, and Germany, there's a teeny island, uh, which has no trees, uh, windswept, uh, Uh, very wild, um, few people. And he goes there because he suffers for some sort of uh, allergy um, and there are no trees there. So it's good for his health. But he also goes there. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's why a, he went that, there. That's a, that's a big response to allergies. I know a lot of people who have allergies in the springtime. I don't know so any who's... So go to a little that. island without trees. <laughs> so stay there. And maybe you find a quantum theory, maybe you find a greatest revolution of all... Incredible. Maybe it's Incredible. not sufficient for doing that, but it's, uh, <laughs> it might be an ingredient. Yeah. So he goes there and uh, he focuses. We have his, uh, his diary where he talks about that. And uh, he focuses completely on the problem, uh, totally emotional. He's alone. Alone. He, he reads poetry. He reads Goethe, the, the, mm -hmm. the poems about Islam and uh, Iran, Persia. I mean, Goethe, the mm -hmm. greatest German poetry has this collection of poetry about, about Islam, his love for Islam. So it's an incredible mix of ideas, uh, you know, poetry, Islam, uh, philosophy. He was a reader of Mark, all the equations about atoms, all that. And he tries to solve this thing that nobody was able to solve. How does the atom move? How does the electron move in the atom? 
People mm-hmm. tried equations, forces, nothing was working. And there he has this idea. I mean, forget about the, the particle is not a particle. Forget to describe where it goes. Just describe what you see, what it enters, what it exits. And he cooks up some little mathematics uh, and then uh, he, the mathematics magically start to work. And mm-hmm. he says, he writes that uh, sort of the afternoon of, of uh, June 7, we have the date exactly, the math starts to work. So he's all excited and he does his calculations. Uh, and then of course, because he's excited, he makes mistakes. So he starts making mistakes and then he has to correct and it, 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 it goes for it. It goes deep in the night. And at some point he gets the right results. The one with chemical mm-hmm. experiments, he just get the result of the experiment from his mind. So he understands understands that he's the first to see a new level of reality, so to say. So he goes out mm. in the night, it's three o'clock in the morning. He climbs a rock in the island. There are these huge rocks that go out over the sea. And he waits for the sun to come up, the sunrise, full of this emotion of having been the first who has seen something new about reality. It's a great story. And then, uh, and then he comes back, he publishes paper. And with a few friends, he just put up this, what we call quantum mechanics today. It, it gave me the image, you know, the uh, the painting by Caspar David Friedrich, Wanderer Above the Sea of Fog. It's like this ah, man, yes. the German romantic painting. It's this man standing on an, in front of on rocks with like waves crashing. I saw it when I was in college. It always stuck with me. It's like, that's exactly what you're describing is this image from this painting. <laughs> that's right. That's exactly right. And there is something about romantic German, German romanticism in this uh, account that Heisenberg gave of this story. And there is something romantic, I think. That's the beauty of science, right? Science is not just numbers, uh, brute facts, uh, not just, you know, there are 15 particles and there are four forces. That's the boring part of science. I think the beauty part of science is when you know, you jump into the empty space of knowledge. You see something new that nobody else has seen before. This emotion, this uh, uh, diving that suddenly understand that, uh, you know, uh, animals and us have common ancestors. It's incredible. Yeah. It's just, wow. It just changes what you mean by human, right? Yeah. Human is just, you know, I am a brother of that little squirrel there. I mean, we're really cousins, not not metaphorically. The mother of yeah. the mother of the mother of the mother of the squirrel and the mother of the mother of the mother of mine is the same person. Yeah. Wow. Can, <laughs> that science is the best. The, the, uh, absolutely. And what, but what that really strikes me is uh, the uh, the intro, the 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 sentence from your introduction that I read about quantum physics being a psychedelic experience. That's also often a characteristic of a psychedelic experience is that you have that feeling of understanding something about the world and being astonished by it. Uh, and so <laughs> that's a way in which um, science and, and psychedelics and, and religious experiences kind of, kind of come together, that like astonishment of, of clarity. Um, yes. Uh, and uh, of course, uh, there are huge differences <laughs> between Yeah, of course, streets, of right? course, yeah, of that, course. So, and, and the differences are important and should uh, absolutely should not be uh, diminished. Uh, um, but there is something visionary in science, uh, which mm-hmm. uh, um, I think even more, it's not so much um, the, the discovery of the new, it's a discovery that there are other ways of viewing reality. I think that's the key, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the way we think about reality is not unique. That's the only possible one. And yeah. that's what, if you, if you think for a moment, that's the main message of science, right? I mean, Look around you. I mean, it's a flat earth. The sky is only that. And, 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 and the down is only earth. Um, that's not true. You, it's true to, in a, some approximation. There's a better way of thinking. Uh, we are sitting on a sphere and the sphere is spinning. Yeah. So science is redrawing the world for you. It's rearranging the telling you uh, things might be different. And in a science, religions do, in a sense, religions do the same thing, right? You can rethink everything differently. Now you think that, you know, if you're a Buddhist, uh, that uh, you can meditate and have a completely different sense of yourself. Or if you're a Christian, that, you know, you're an instrument in the hands of God or whatever. So you, you re- re- re-narrate the thing differently. And the psychedelic experience, I think the, the good part of it is exactly that it, 
opened the mind to the fact that uh, there is just just one way of viewing reality. There are many different yes. ways. And if we are if we have open minded, uh, better. I think we might become a better scientist and a bit, even a better person, perhaps. Yeah. It, man, I, I, it's really interesting to me that in that account of Heisenberg, you mentioned that he was reading Goethe and that those, you know, that, that there's a place for that sort of thinking in this story as well. Why do you, why do you center that? Why is that an important part of the story for you? Because I think that uh, nowadays, uh, um, some countries more, some countries less, uh, uh, science is talked uh, in isolation from the rest of culture. Uh, you know, you go to a science class and y- you vaguely know that behind those names, uh, uh, there were actually human people with, <laughs> with their passions mm-hmm. and their ideas and the complexity mm-hmm. of their culture. Uh, you, you, sometimes you say the, the Maxwell equation, so you, you vaguely know who was Maxwell. Um, so y- you take science out of the, of the story, but I think that's misunderstanding what the entire scientific enterprise is about. Scientific enterprise is, is, is people trying to make sense of the world. Uh, and, and they do that uh, with, uh, I, I've, I've, I've been teaching history of science also and, and, and spend a lot of time in history of science. It's not the science is autonomous. Science has developed uh, under the influences of the Uh, philosophical, political, religious ideas of the people involved uh, into the game. Very, very different mm-hmm. ideas, sometimes uh, in contradiction with one another. Uh, Schrodinger, which is one of the fathers of quantum mechanics, uh, was passionate of the Vedanta, the Indian, the, mm. the, the, the part of the Veda, the uh, Hinduism. Uh, Heisenberg uh, was deeply immersed in the philosophy of, Mac, uh, of uh, uh, Erzmach. Uh, sort of phenomenalism. Uh, Newton was reading philosophy. Einstein was uh, was uh, uh, was a. Uh, Einstein had read uh, when when he was in his twenties had read Hume in the original Kant, all the three criticisms mm. of Kant. He was passionate about uh, um, uh, 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 about uh, 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 Schopenhauer. Uh, he read Poincaré philosophical writing, and if you look into his physics you find exactly all this influence. You find what he got mm. from this, from that. Uh, it's only in the recent years, somehow, that uh, to some extent is specialization, right? If you want to do something, you, you just do that and you forget all the rest. You need some specialization. But to go ahead in science, uh, you have to uh, to widen your horizons. Uh, and, and, and science has gone ahead by widening its horizons. I mean, Darwin, you, you mentioned biology. Darwin is a perhaps greatest uh, step ahead in biology. How did he do that? Yeah. Uh, he jumped into the ship and went outside England. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, he went, he went to the Galapagos. all over the world. He spent years just going to places and talking yeah. to people, looking around. So just get out of your way of thinking. That's the key <laughs> point. So everything is good, including poetry about Islam. <laughs> well, yeah, science has become... Beyond professionalized, so uh, yeah. technical. And so, I mean, physics now is done by uh, my sister before she was a science journalist was working on uh, a neutrino, a big neutrino experiment on a team with dozens of other people. And they would fly to France and then they would meet dozens more people and hundreds of and these you know, large Hadron Collider is, is is as big as NASA, practically, you know, in terms <laughs> yes, of how right. many people, perhaps bigger. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and there's not a lot of room for, you can't get all those people together and have them all read Goethe, <laughs> but, but That's also that true. is part of the enterprise. Like, it, and it's of often left out. That's right. That's right. That's right. And I think that uh, in education it's good to keep it wide as much as possible also, because mm-hmm. you do, you do one thing good, well, but, uh, you do it better if you, at the same time, you have, uh, you have a larger perspective. It seems to me. Yeah. Okay, I have so many more questions for you, but we got to take a really quick break. We'll be right back with more Carlo Ravelli. Okay, we're back with Carlo Ravelli. So when Heisenberg left Helgoland with this insight and with this mathematics, what did people think when he told them i mean it's baffling enough for me today you know a century later or so um 
Uh, but were they like, this is baffling. Like, we don't, how, how could this be, you know? Uh, it raised a huge, a huge uh, uh, debate very, very rapidly because um, clearly he was on something because uh, he, his calculation worked. Mm-hmm. Worked in the sense that uh, um, first you could uh, calculate uh, uh, what had been observed uh, in, in the behavior of the atoms, but also predict new things, which were then confirmed. And let, well, let, let's put it this way. This was 25, right? 1925, 100 years ago, mm-hmm. 97 years ago. Wow. So soon there will be the centenary. Um, so he comes back, uh, he does this with Max uh, Born, uh, his teacher, so to say, he was in his 40s. And the other were all kids, together with Jordan, who was his age. And in, in, the, in the UK, Dirac um, uh, also uh, uh, essentially uses Heisenberg paper and, and, and put the same theory together. So, so, so the theory, they, they found it in two places at the same time, uh, in, in Germany and in England. Um, and uh, and then they they uh, Pauli comes in. Pauli is a good friend of uh, of Heisberg. He's also twenty three. So these are all kids, and wow. uh, and they are all something. And uh, the in in the small world of atomic physics, I mean, there were a few people right discussing that at the time. Einstein was following very closely. Einstein has a reaction. He says, um, uh, "Here is the friend, the friend saying." Um, Every theoretical physicist, which means his group, little group of friends at the time, uh, it's following with enormous interest the, the, these witchcraft calculations that Eisenberg and Borda <laughs> died. <laughs> so Eisenberg, Einstein himself said, my God, what, is, what are these doing, these kids? I mean, just, they're kids. They're all kids. Uh, in, the, in the environment, they were calling their physics Knabenphysik uh, in English, which means boys' physics, hmm. because they were in their 20s. Right? Yeah. So imagine that today, a group of five kids of their 20s that come yeah. out saying, we, we have a new fundamental theory. Here it is. What do you think about that? Look, it gives the right spectrum of the, uh, of the, of the spectrum of the helium, right? Uh, 15 years later or 20 years when it is, with those equations, there's an atomic bomb of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Wow. Right? With those equations. So this Knab and physics has a power which nobody denies. Uh, thanks God, there are ma- ma- many better things than the, than the atomic uh, uh, bomb. There is all the mm-hmm. all modern technology, all modern condensers. I mean, microchips of computers work with quantum mechanics. Uh, atomic power is quantum mechanics. Lasers, lasers come in all single applications today. It was a CD at the time. Now there's no CDs anymore, <laughs> but there are lasers all over. When you enter in a door, it's open, it closes, often it's a laser. Medical application, uh, MNR, MRIN, how do you say in English? Uh, it's, it's a quantum mechanical phenomenon. More than that, you, 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 you explain the basics of chemistry just out of the equations of quantum mechanics directly. It's just, so uh, the, nobody doubt that what these kids put together, it's something totally deep about the structure of reality. But did he understand it? Nobody understood it. And, uh, and uh, he, they did, the way Heisenberg did it, there was no wave. I remember we started by talking about this wave com- coming up. Yeah. There's no wave, just probability from here to here. Uh, you have a particle here, you can compute whether you will see here or not. In between, mm-hmm. forget it. Mm. Um, and then Schrödinger in 1926, the year after, comes out for this wave, sort of fills in between observation what happened in between. And those guys start fighting with one another because, you know, Schrödinger says, well, it's a wave. And I would say, no, it's not a wave because when you see it, it becomes just collapsed into a particle. And, you know, 100 years have passed and we're still debating on the same thing. I don't <laughs> think it's a wave. <laughs> My thing is not a wave. Forget the wave. I mean, if you forget the wave, you understand it much more clearly. You see, in the book, I, I talk about my own way of thinking about mm-hmm. this. Thing. Please, so, oh, I, I would love, I would love to hear this. Uh, yeah, please, let me try. I mean, you really have to go through the book to to to, to get it. So my take on this is: forget the wave. Uh, it's not a wave. A wave is just a way of doing calcul- a, a, a way of doing calculations. The key point is that. Uh, 
when you take an object, any object, my, my pen here, the property of this object are not in the object. Are, uh, it's a way this pen affects me or affects something else, another physical system. Everything mm. is relations. I think this is what in death Heisenberg has discovered. It's mm. not the way I see it. It's the way this affects any other things. This affects this microphone, this computer, uh, this air around it. So we always have to think about how things affect one another, not, not how things are. And then mm. you start to make sense because uh, the mistake is to ask, uh, what is a thing isolated? And, and we should never ask what is a thing isolated because things are not isolated. They are interactions. The interactions become before the things in, in a sense. That's, uh, you know, the working title of my book was Relations. Mm-hmm. before calling Helgoland. Helgoland seemed a good title because uh, nobody understands what it means. So it's, <laughs> it's mysterious. I want to know what this <laughs> Helgoland is. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so relations is the, the key way to understand quantum mechanics. And, and that's deep. I think uh, what Heisenberg understood, I think, 100 years later, is that we describe, we should think about the world uh, as a network of relations and not as a set of isolated things. Um, to some extent, we know that already, right? Uh, this pen is, 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 is gray. Why is gray? Well, it's not a property of the pen. It's a property of the light interacting with the pen, interact with me, my eyes. So we understand the gray in the ensemble. Uh, an animal, it's a, it's a predator. It's not a predator by itself. It's a predator because there's a prey and it's a relational thing. Okay. If you, I don't know if you have a brother or if you have a sister or a brother. If you're a brother, it's not the property of you being a brother. It's a property because there's another brother. Yes. And so on. And somehow quantum mechanics is understanding that it's all the way down like that. It's relations all the way down. But that is a boldly philosophical statement as opposed to a scientific statement to say that that almost sounds like something uh, an ancient Greek could have come up with, you know, that that things don't exist in themselves or it it sounds like it's in dialogue with Kant who had the idea of the thing in itself. Um, uh, Instead that everything is a, everything is a relation. That's your way of understanding quantum physics is like in uh, philosophical insight. Yeah, that's correct. And uh, uh, that's absolutely correct. And I think that when uh, it, it, it is a philosophical idea and uh, it's, uh, uh, I, I think we need philosophical ideas to make sense of, uh, uh, of, of the way we understand the world. You know, when Newton yeah. and, uh, and his friends in, in the uh, 18th century say, uh, came out with the idea that, all right, uh, we have a way of understanding the world. There's little particles with moving in space. Nobody thought the world this way before, right? In, 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 mm-hmm. in Middle Age Europe, people thought the world in terms of angels and spirits and, 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 and the reality around us being sort of a mirror of a spiritual world. <clears throat> and and uh, physics came out with a very... Uh, Beautiful, if you want, picture of matter moving in space and the forces. But this was taken from philosophy as Democritus' idea. <laughs> it yeah. worked very well. Of course, it was rearranged, pr- proven by some made mathematical, become super effective. But it's a philosophical idea. And maybe good to some approximation, but it's not good anymore for quantum theory. We have understood that the world is approximately described like that, but not exactly. If you want to describe atoms, and the small things, uh, we have to give up this idea of this little particle moving in space, uh, each one with its own essence, nature, natural, na- nature properties. Uh, um, we have to talk about how things interact. Uh, it's all about interactions, not about single things. Uh, and I think it's a, it's a good way of thinking that it's useful not just in physics, we know it's useful in general, and it's we should abandon the idea that beyond the complexity of relations, uh, there's just a substance with property. No, it's more complicated. It's relations all the way down. Wow. I think this way one can make make sense of quantum theory. This is so fascinating. I love this. Uh, So uh, I love the... um, the comparison you drew earlier to, uh, you know, the Copernican or or Newtonian revolution in in that 
you know, I, I still talk about the world as though the sky is up and the ground is down and I'm walking yeah. around on a fat, flat plane. But I do know and I have integrated into my worldview the fact that I'm actually on a giant sphere that is moving around according to its own physical laws. And I don't that doesn't pose a philosophical problem for me. I, I, I understand why someone might be baffled by that if they heard it for the first time in the year 500 A.D. But I understand it. It's I get it. Um, and it is a philosophical change in addition to a scientific viewpoint. It is a philosophical viewpoint that I'm not at the center. There's something there is no center to the universe that it's, you know, the, the world operates according to immutable physical laws. And what you're describing sounds like another philosophical revolution along the same level that I maybe if I was brought up to believe that everything in the in the universe is a relation that it would seem as it, it could seem intuitive to me. Does it seem intuitive to you at this point after having, uh, you know, thought about this idea and come up with it? Do you are you able to live your life according to this? way of looking at the world? <laughs> I think I think you put it very well at the beginning. Uh, <laughs> when you said, no, no, particularly well, I really much appreciate it. You said, you. you said something very, 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 very on the point at the beginning. You said, I know that, and uh, that I'm, I'm sitting on a spinning globe, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, uh, and I also know that this is not in contradiction with uh, the fact that I consider the ground solid and fixed and not moving, and that's a up, mm -hmm. that's a down, and, and I work this way. I know that there is a story that connects the two. I don't have to think about this story. I know that if I if I want to think about it, I can. For instance, if you see the sunset, right? Mm -hmm. The sunset is real. I mean, you say, oh, the sun goes down, it enters the ocean, how beautiful it is. Uh, and then somebody comes to you and says, you know, the sun is not moving. It's not going mm. down. It's just mm -hmm. staying there. <laughs> it's just mm -hmm. back. Yeah, fine. But it doesn't make the sunset false or illusionary. Yeah. It's still true. It's just a, it's a more complicated story. So you can hold uh, the two pictures of the sunset in, in, in your mind together without any problem. And in a sense, we have learned that already in science, right? When, when we know that um, a, 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 a solid object is made by atoms, Mm -hmm. This seems smooth, but you know, I've learned at school that it's smooth only because there are very teeny, 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 teeny things, there are zillions of zillions of them. So it's not smooth in reality. A lot of empty space with little atoms. All right. So, and that's consistent with the fact that to my finger is, is seems smooth. So we can hold, uh, we can at the same time um, think in the normal way because it's appropriate to our what we're doing, and uh, uh, realize that more precise scientific thinking has allowed us to to have a more a deeper way of how things work. Where you know this is made by atoms, the Earth is running, is turning, and uh, quantum mechanics is true, telling us that the world is not a bunch of particles bouncing around; it's relations between systems affecting one another. So, yes, I think that uh, oh. it's going to be a matter of getting used to this way of thinking and it slowly will become, uh, I hope, it will become um, accepted. Uh, uh, you know, like the idea that uh, you and I are actually moving at 10 kilometers per second. So that's the velocity we're rotating. <laughs> yeah. The Earth. It's yeah. crazy velocity. You think about it. Oh, my God, slop. It's going to yeah. And that's and that's a that's an astonishing point of view, but it is one that has had wide adoption. I mean, the number of you know people flat earthers get a lot of press, but there's very few of them. And even folks who uh, you know believe in the literal truth of various religious scriptures would probably agree that we're on a big spherical ball that's that's moving very quickly. Do yeah. you think that uh, I, I would imagine a very large portion of humanity now agrees on this? Yeah. Do do you foresee a future in which we as a species have a more intuitive understanding of quantum mechanics akin to that? Yeah, if we don't destroy one another with nuclear wars first, <laughs> if we stop fighting and, on, on, like idiots because I want to be bigger than you, my country stronger than you, then probably if, if humanity survives this idiocy of us all, uh, then I think uh, with all this if, um, if we keep learning, I, I, I yeah, or not even in a long time, I think quantum mechanics is already talked in a very 
minimal idea, many few things in high school in many countries. I don't know in the US, but in the many countries give some, in Italy, there is some little bit of quantum mechanics high school. So a little bit, the ideas are beginning to, uh, very, very preliminary. So it's not without any clarity yet. But I think in a, in a couple of generations, if, if, if people start learning quantum mechanics with their kids, that will become a more reasonable way of thinking. And then say, oh, grandpa, yeah. how do you think that things are just things with properties? <laughs> you, you don't know that, obviously, they are relations. <laughs> I mean, it, it is taught us, it was taught to me to some extent in high school, but it was taught sort of, it was the advanced class, you know, it was like calculus. Everybody needs to know a little bit of algebra, but calculus, uh, that's only for the kids who are really good at math. <laughs> and calculus was where I couldn't hang anymore in math. And I had to, uh, I, I stopped taking the classes at that point. Uh, and, and quantum mechanics, I went through the first level of it. And then I said, not for me, but it, it yeah, it could be something that we taught more widely. Is there? Yeah, a- but the, the, the way it's talked at in high school is really—it's just a bit of things, right? This doesn't make much mm-hmm. sense. There's just some 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 grains of facts thrown there. Well, in the Schrodinger's cat example, for it, like I learned about the particle in the wave. I learned about Schrodinger's cat, and then my teacher kind of went, "Yeah, I mean, crazy, right? I don't get it either." <laughs> and then we, and then we just kind of moved on, you know, like it was presented as almost like. Does a tree fall in the forest and no one's around to hear it? I don't know. Anyway, fun to think about. Let's talk about something else, you know? Um, And it's not an idea that we really take seriously in our education. Talk about what the implications of it are. Exactly. 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 And I think there will be a moment in which uh, the Schrodinger cat story will be used to uh, to make clear how relations are more than things by themselves. You see, uh, the, the, in the Schrodinger cat story, the point is that um, uh, it seems that the cat is alive and the cat is dead at the same time, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But that's not the right thing of putting it. It's uh, You have to be perspectival. You have to be relational here. With respect to the cat, mm. he's not both two things at the same time. It's just one thing. It's just either, if you're a cat, you're, you're either alive or dead. You either have seen yeah. something or you're not, period. There is no other story. But this does not immediately imply that with respect to somebody who is outside, the state of the cat is defi- def- 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 defined. Mm. So you, you have to say, the point is how things interact with somebody who's outside, you have things interact with the cat. So you can give a full description of what the guy who is outside uh, sees, perceives the interaction with respect to him and the full description of the interaction with respect to the cat, everything is coherent. I mean, if the cat sees red and then mm-hmm. you open the box and you ask the cat, what have you seen? Red, and you also see red. Okay, so there is coherence. Ah. But, uh, but you shouldn't just imagine that there is some outside view that sees everything at the same time. You should think about the view of the cat, the view of the person, and there might be little discrepancies. Yeah, small oh, I'm stu- quantum discrepancies. I'm, That's it. I'm starting to get this because uh, you know another uh, a theory that is you know the implications are very vast, but I feel I understand. I have understood int- intuitively better is the theory of relativity as relates to time. You know, I went to the planetarium when I was a kid and they said there's no single objective time. Time, you know, depends on uh, the rate of speed of the observer. So, you know, you someone goes at practically the speed of light and they come exactly. back and they're very old and all that sort of thing. I understand it. They've made movies about it. You know, I, <laughs> I get it. I understand that this is a property of time and I can sort of think my way around it. And this to me almost sounds... Similar, I hope I'm not drawing a false comparison, but that, uh, yeah, the the mystery of Schrodinger's cat is, well, the the reality of this situation is in, it's not objective, it's in the relation between exactly. the two parties. Exactly, no, you're not, you're not, you're not misunderstanding, you're, you're right on track here. And the similarity with, uh, with relativity is strong, right? Because uh, in relativity, you get confused if you think, no, 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 there is the time, the common, the unique time. So it's the same for everybody. And uh, uh, until you hang on to that, you just keep getting mm-hmm. confused. If you think, you know, I have my time, another person has his time, and it doesn't mean that we are in separate universes. We, we meet, and <laughs> when we meet, it's, we are in the same time. Um, but, uh, but, but when we're not together, things might be different. The, the timing yeah. doesn't have too much 
in any sense. Like in the movies, right? In which you, you meet your grandfather and you, 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 or you meet your children and they're old and, and, and you're still young. Yeah. yeah. Right. Why not? I mean, who, who, what would prevent the universe from doing that? Well, the universe does that. And so it's a similar story. It's a, uh, it's a perspectival story. And if you think about it, this is something that is a step that humankind has taken many times, right? You, you take something that seems absolute. Mm-hmm. And you realize that, well, no, it's not absolute. It's just the way I view things. Like, you know, this is up. Yeah. But somebody's in Sydney, so up is that direction. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, who is right? But come on, it's not right. Uh, this is my up, but that's your up. So, yeah. It's wow. Up is a relative notion. I have to say, this is, this is honestly making... Quantum mechanics seem much more approachable to me. Okay, I have to ask you about this before we run out of time. You, you've written about how uh, your reading of, of Buddhism has, has affected your work here, and I'm curious how those things integrate. Um, people were coming to me uh, and saying, uh, oh, I, I heard about you this, the, this way, um, uh, thinking that you guys think about uh, quantum mechanics. Have you read Nagarjuna? Mm. I said, who is Nagarjuna? And then another guy was coming. Have you read Nagarjuna? And then when, you know, after five, six times that people, completely different people, knowledgeable people, ask me about, have you read Nagarjuna? And this is not just, you know, do you know about my guru uh, <laughs> who knows everything? No, I mean, this is uh, completely different people who are not necessarily religious, uh, pointing out to this Nagarjuna, who is a classic uh, Buddhist uh, Indian philosopher, ancient Indian philosopher. It's like... Uh, you know, Aristotle for, 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 for the Western civilization or Plato for the mm-hmm. Western civilization is a super classic in Indian, uh, uh, in Indian civilization. So I decided to read it because, you know, you get bored of, of, of doing the ignorant to say, oh, who is Nagarjuna? So I read it and I, it was a shock because uh, um, obviously it, it's, a, it's, it's something written uh, in the second century uh, so it doesn't know anything about science, about quantum mechanics, but it's a little bit what, what you were saying before, right? You philosophers come out with a perspective that can be useful. And in fact, I found a lot of very useful ideas uh, in his uh, perspective because he has a completely relational um, description of reality. I mean, his main thesis is that no entity exist by itself. Entities exist only in independence of our entities, which mm-hmm. is uh, which is present in Buddhism uh, philosophy, uh, plays a role in, in, in the Buddhist worldview. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he articulates very well. He, he, he goes on and on explaining that everything you can think is fundamental and, and the rest build on it. it. It's not really. It depends on something else. And then it, it sort of arrive at the point in which it convinces you that you don't need something fundamental on which to build the rest. You can have a, all things making sense together uh, without having to ground on something fixed. Uh, it's a great reading. It's not an easy reading. I read it from, with, with some commentary from some uh, Western mm-hmm. philosophers. Uh, but it, it helped me clarify my mind uh, and uh, make it more clear what we were trying to say about quantum mechanics. Yeah, I've read that in my my own readings of uh, light readings of I've never read Nagarjuna, but um, you know this idea uh, in Buddhism that you know the that there is no self for the self is empty because it's relational. Exactly. exactly. Uh, that's that seems to be a very fundamental idea in many many Buddhist traditions. Exactly. Uh, do you think that that idea follows from quantum mechanics at all, or is that a bridge too far? That's a very good question and a deep question. Let me try to <laughs> let me try to give a, a, the right answer here. Uh, I don't think at all that quantum mechanics explains the self, the mind, consciousness, yeah. whatever you want to call it. The, the different yeah. stories. Um, uh, we are not quantum systems. In any, some people were trying to use quantum mechanics. I mean, we are quantum systems because atoms are quantum. So everything yeah. is quantum in a sense, but it's not specifically quantum that helps un- understand wh- why we have this subjective uh, view of the world. Uh, so directly there's no relation. However, I do think uh, together with probably the majority of contemporary neuroscientists that this, like 
the Buddhist idea that the self is not an entity, it's a complex thing. It comes out from, from the relation in our neurons is that uh, that's right. That's correct. And uh, hmm. I think that quantum mechanics is telling us that the physical world is not made by entities, but it's made by relations. Now, if you bring everything together, the uh, apparent uh, uh, discrepancy between material world and the mind uh, almost vanishes, mm. right? Because if you think that the mind is an entity, I am a sort of spiritual entity, and the world is little stones bouncing around. You think, come on, these are two different things, two different things. But if you yeah. think that both of them are actually relations between complexities, then they are just two, two aspects of the same thing, which does not yeah. explain the brain. I mean, the neuroscientists have to do the job, of course, which they haven't yet <laughs> because we don't understand how we work exactly. But they do, and, but it does take away this sense of, uh, oh, uh, my God, it's too separate, my mind from reality. They cannot be the same thing. So, yes, in that sense, I think that... Uh, uh, relational thinking of physics that quantum mechanics suggests uh, take away a lot of the, of the strangeness of the problem of consciousness. I don't think there is a problem of consciousness. Once we understand better our brain, the so-called problem of consciousness will just disappear. You know, we don't have problems with hurricanes. We just know how hurricanes works. So, I mean, this is one of the most, uh, you know, long-standing problems in modern philosophy is the mind-body problem, the problem of consciousness. Yeah. And you feel that once we fully understand quantum mechanics and we understand the relational, the relational nature of reality, it'll it'll disappear, or it can disappear as part of that same change in perspective that we we'll say, okay, well, yes, I experience my conscious mind, but I also know that it is uh, simply. Uh, it's it's simply a relational relationship <laughs> with with the rest of the world. Yes, I think it will disappear uh, for real when we understand better the 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 actual mechanisms in the brain. Yes, which we do not yet. Yes. So the brain is very much closed machine that works fantastically, and we don't know how it works. Right? Yeah. If we knew how it worked, we could perhaps make another one, which we're extremely far from, from that. So <laughs> yes. we, really don't, we really don't understand the, 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 the mechanism. But that, that doesn't mean that uh, it's a priori non-understandable. Yeah. Uh, I don't understand how a Ferrari works, <laughs> but mm-hmm. you know, I think mm-hmm. that you know, this Ferrari has been put together. It's just a machine, even if it is strange and uh, uh, somebody might find yeah. it beautiful. I don't know. God, I could talk to you for hours, but I need to ask you a final question because we're almost out of time. Okay. <laughs> you have a very important thoughts to have and very important things to do. Uh, you, you wrote uh, that you believe one of the greatest mistakes made by human beings is to want certainties when trying to understand things. Uh, well, tell me about that and how do we get out of that? Why is that? And is that a trap that we can escape? Yeah, I think it's a trap we can escape and I do think it's a trap. Uh, I think we want reliable thing. Reliable does not mean certain. And that's, mm. that's a subtlety. And, uh, you know, if, if I say that, you would say, yeah, of course. I mean, uh, but, but we always fall in this trap. Uh, what do I mean? I mean, if I, this is my standard example, if I, if, if I come downtown and I ask, uh, in, 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 a, in a city I don't know, and I ask, what is the direction to go to Trafalgar Square in London? And somebody tell me, I take, go, you right, left. Am I certain that that's the right indication? Well, no. I mean, the guy may, you know, dislike me and <laughs> put me in. maybe he hates Italians or maybe I misunderstood or maybe I said it with the wrong accent and, or maybe I, touch, I, I put it in my, in, in my smartphone and I mistaped it. But does this lack of certainty prevents me from finding Trafalgar Square? No, most of the time, no. So I, I, mm. I'm happy with it, right? I'm happy with a reliable information. This guy seems reliable. And this, I think I typed correctly. I, and that's what we need in life. That's what we need in moral decision. That's what we need in political decision. That's what we need in science. If we ask the question, do I have complete certainty? First of all, if you're honest 
we should say no. Mm. And worse, if we believe we are certain, we don't learn anymore. We mm. learned because we were open to have our moral belief, uh, religious belief, uh, scientific belief, political belief challenged. I mean, people came out with uh, the wonders of a modern world because they challenged some previous things. So thank God yeah. uh, there, is, there is challenging. So we should be open to challenge, which means, I believe, <laughs> that uh, we should not never think we are certain. We should think, uh, I have good reasons to believe in that because I've been challenged many times and somehow the, the belief has survived, my scientific belief has survived, but I'm not certain. Maybe somebody will come with better arguments, better scientific argument, better moral argument, uh, better political argument, and I can change my mind. I think this is better. This is better. Certainty, I mean, we, we don't have receipt against human stupidity, but certainty has led to massacres, to all sorts of horrors. Mm. Doubts, it's better, I think. That is a message right after my own heart and I think is a wonderful place to end. Uh, thank you so much, Carlo, for coming onto the show. Uh, I really can't thank you enough. This conversation has been beyond fascinating. The book is called Helgoland. People can pick it up at our special website, factuallypod.com slash books or at your local bookshop. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Adam, that was wonderful. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed this, uh, this exchange. Thank you for your question and for everything. Thank you. Well, thank you once again to Carlo Rovelli for coming on the show. If you enjoyed that interview, if you want to check out his book, you can check it out at factuallypod.com slash books. And just to remind you once again, when you do so, you will be supporting not just this show, but your local bookstore as well. I want to thank our producers, Chelsea Jacobson and Sam Roudman, Andrew Carson, our engineer, Andrew WK for our incredible theme song, the fine folks at Falcon Northwest for building me the incredible custom gaming PC that I am recording this very episode for you on. You can find me at Adam Conover wherever you get your social media and at AdamConover.net. Until next week. Oh, and by the way, I forgot this. If you... Uh, if you want to hear a new topic on the show, you can email me at factually at adamconover.net. Until next week, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week on Factually. <laughs>